very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. everyone around the world and we're welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host Mel Famergus and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, by now you know what to do. Just go to our website VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately and will have access to hundreds of hours of important material. And congratulations to Sanitas Radio, which began its third season. If you haven't tried Sanitas Radio, I highly suggest that you do. Only if you want to upgrade yourself. It's your life. Take control. Visit SanitasRadio.com. Have you ever wondered who you are and why you're here? Have you ever pondered the existence of alien beings from distant worlds or other dimensions? Are we being visited by these beings? Have you ever wondered what it would take to make something invisible? Have you ever thought it may be possible to heal yourself, others, or the planet with nothing more than a touch, a prayer, or a thought? If you have answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. So please, listen up. Tonight, our special guest presents some stories of his journey toward enlightenment. And he is Phil Kava, a Reiki practitioner, independent subtle energy researcher, energy worker, presenter, and author. He has been researching and practicing energy healing since the age of 19, when he discovered his grandfather was a faith healer in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains of Pennsylvania in the early 1900s. He also spent over 10 years working with biophysicist W.C. Levengood, researching charged density pulse energies, subtle energy and energy medicine. He is the author of two books, including On the Shoulders of Giants, contemplating the super scientific on my journey towards enlightenment, which will be the focus of tonight's interview. And directly from Staten, Michigan, I would like to welcome Phil Kava. Hello, Phil, and welcome to Veritas. Hello, Mel. Thank you very much for having me on. It is an honor, and I'd like to thank your audience for listening. I hope uh, I can help them with some uh, useful information tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was uh, Eric Mitchell who referred me to you and your work, and I had heard your name before, and some people have mentioned your book, which I have right here in front of me. The cover has pretty much many of the giants we, we know, including Nikola Tesla and many of the others. Now, let's begin, as we usually do on this radio program, from the beginning. All right. Let's begin with your story. How did it all begin? 
Well, for me, I was pretty much having paranormal experiences uh, since I was a little child, having dreams that came true uh, since elementary school, having uh, out-of-body experiences. Um, I was I actually took transcendental meditation classes when I was 11 uh, to TM classes through the uh, Maharashi, yeah, Mahashyogi, <laughs> and uh, got into meditation at an early age. Started researching, um, you know, Eric Van Donneken's book when I was 11. So I've been uh, looking into this stuff a long time. Um, at the age of 11, a- you were reading Chariots of the Gods. Yeah, yeah, oh, actually, wow. yep. I remember. <laughs> That's what kind of sparked my interest from the beginning. So I've always questioned, uh, you know, questioning answers and never really felt as if I, if I fit in, you know, to this place. And uh, it's been quite a journey. Uh, hasn't been easy, but uh, through my, you know, constant searching, I think I found uh, a lot of answers to the questions I had as to, you know, who I am, why I'm here, and what, what this is all about. And, uh, I will start anywhere you'd like, and if you have any questions, just let me know. But like, like I said from the beginning, I'm youngest of uh, 11 kids. Grew up in the suburbs outside of Detroit in the uh, early 80s, and uh, did my share of drugs and partying. And you were the only and, planned child, am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> out of 11, <laughs> and it's kind of kind of funny because uh, my grandfather died in uh, 1965 and I was born nine months later uh, in 1966 Uh, and my parents kind of intentionally had me as for some reason after having 10 other children uh, kind of a namesake my grandfather who was actually a uh, faith healer and growing up it wasn't something that everyone talked about and apparently my grandfather tried to teach my mother the how he did what he did uh, using the Bible and saying different verses um, but she was afraid to learn back in the you know 40s and 50s so you think you she are never him? learned pardon do you think you're him no I don't think so but I think he's definitely been one of my spirit guides on this journey for sure um, I think my grandmother may have thought and my one aunt may have thought that I could have been him but you know who knows I honestly <laughs> I have come to discover so much in my life, and especially just within the past couple of years since I did the Discovery Channel show and, and wrote my books and started doing all the energy work with people around the world, so much more has come to me. It's absolutely mind-boggling um, as far as how I understand consciousness and reality and this whole uh, view of everything. You know, We're in this big matrix, and uh, that's something I really get into in my second book is uh, you know, understanding consciousness and how collectively, I believe – we create our reality through collective consciousness, um, our physical world. And, uh, you know, it's just so hard to uh, focus in on all these, <laughs> so much to talk about tonight in such a short time, but uh, just try to keep me on focus here and we'll kind of start from the beginning. And Yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's, flow, let's not jump with, the, with where you are now. Let's go right. back to, because, you know, I read your book and I was thinking, I don't know how you survived your childhood, really. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a lot of people had it way worse uh, than I did. I was just, like I said, youngest of 11. Parents didn't pay too much attention to me. Uh, so I pretty much did what I wanted to from a year early age. Uh, dropped out of school when I was 15. Uh, moved out to California when I was 17. Sold a lot of drugs. Did a lot of drugs. Throughout my life, though, what's funny is it's, it's always as if, even when I was doubting the existence of God, a creator, and all these, these things, uh, who I was, very atheistic in my youth, um, uh, there was always this connection to spirit. Somehow, I was always connected. Like I said, had these dreams 
that came true. I don't know if I was kind of remote viewing my life or it was just premonitions, but things were very specific at times. So when I was 19, I started getting into uh, Robert Monroe, Journeys Out of the Body, and really getting into how to intentionally you know, use my intention to leave my body and float around and experience different things. And it worked very, very well for me at times. So... Uh, my journey you know, through the drug abuse and substance abuse really turned around when I got when I turned 20. I started going to church and you know went through my religious phase, which uh, fortunately, you know, I think looking back on it, Christ consciousness came into me and awakened me. But uh, from that point on, very shortly, uh, I realized that I had outgrown you know religion, and there was far too much you know that religion didn't cover in my life. For example, the you know spirit guide contacts I've had, the dreams that come true, uh, the premonitions, the uh, and of course all the UFO sightings that have happened for me in my early, I'd say, at least in 1996, but it's probably been going on my entire life. But uh, yeah, so coming up, it was hard. I had my struggles with substance abuse, and it was, you know, through a spiritual awakening, which you know I talk about in my book, uh, I was enlightened enough to get off the drugs and start getting my life in order. And uh, that was through you know the Christ, Christ consciousness, Christ spirit. But um, since that time, <laughs> I became an avid reader of the Urantia book, and that that you know I don't think there's any complete answers out there. I think we get little bits and pieces of reality. Uh, I guess to sum up. Where I've come to is understanding that, you know, through uh, my experience in Christ consciousness and going to that religious phase. So stop for a second there about the yeah. Urantia book. I don't mean to interrupt you. Oh, but no, no. I, I have to say this, you know, every time I go to a conference, everybody's, a lot of people ask me if I have read that book. And it just so happened that years ago, somebody sent me the book. It's still wrapped in saran wrap still. I haven't opened it just because I read between two and four books per week in preparation right. for these shows. And that book, I mean, most of the books I read are two to 300 pages average. This is 2,000 pages. Yeah. So I'm waiting for the right moment to open it and dedicate the time that it deserves. Because every time I speak with somebody about it, they just say, you have to. What was the impression you got after reading the Arantia book? Well, I tell you, it, it made a definite influence in my life because of the events that happened. I won't get into that now. I explain that in the book. Um, seeing some apparitions at, you know, down in Georgia and so forth uh, when praying about the book. But my overall view of it is, is that you know, there's a lot of truths in there, but I think they're all mixed up. And there's not, you know, it's surely not gospel. It's not all the answers. But I think it's more of a spiritual look at the potential reality of how our universe in our, our physical world came into existence and how we were, you know, manipulated by beings. I think it matches up fairly well with the story and the history of the Anunnaki as told by Sitchin and, and Clark and other investigators who invest in the Anunnaki. The timelines in the Urantia book and with a lot of the Anunnaki research do line up with when supposed, you know, angelic or interdimensional beings were here genetically altering mankind. So if you if you look at the total story of the Ranch book, which is like you said, way too much to get into here, but it really matches up well with a lot, you know, in my opinion, with a lot of the Anunnaki research, and uh, spiritually uh, it gives a better view of the whole life of, of this supposed you know, whoever Jesus or Yahshua Ben Joseph, uh, Jesus Christ was in this reality when he came here. But it also goes into who he was before he was here and who he is, you know, in reality. So, a great read if you got, you know, a couple months to uh, <laughs> devote to it. I understand that. So, 
going back to your first recollection of, of a encounter, experiencing, right. you think before 1996, I think that's the, the year where you think you had the first one that you can remember. But do you right. think oh. that this probably runs in your family? Some of my sisters have had experiences, and my one sister-in-law claims that she was um, abducted when she was three months pregnant, and the, the, fe the fetus disappeared. Of course, doctors, you know, it was obvious that something did happen to her. She did have some kind of, the fetus disappeared, and she had no trace of it. This so, is your sister-in-law? My, my sister-in-law and my brother's wife. Right. Um, but yeah, I think a couple of my other family members, members have had experiences, but I don't know how far back it goes because I don't really have, I never really had a chance to talk to my grandparents. So um, The interesting yeah. thing about your sister-in-law is that after a year after the quote-unquote abduction happened, right. she went to a local TV show where 20 women from the Tampa area claimed the same thing happened to them around the same time. Can you elaborate? Yeah, that was really strange. I just happened to be down there visiting with them and watching the local news. And uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that was a that was a couple years later. But yeah, after she had gotten inducted, she was in the Tampa Bay area, and at least 20 other women were on this show. I can't, I don't remember, it was a local news show, and they were talking about how they were all abducted. Um, my sister-in-law was in the audience; she wasn't actually a member, you know, on the on the panel of the show, but she had the same experience as all these women. And the funny thing is, I was down there a couple years after uh, this event had happened, after this TV show, and again they were talking about this case several years after. Uh, when I was down there visiting one day. So it didn't go away. I'm sure there's a lot of evidence and a lot more to that than you know I talk about in the book, for sure, for people to check out. But yeah, my uh, sister-in-law was three months pregnant, had an abduction experience, and uh, the, the baby was gone the next day. So it it, It's interesting that that's, that's a local show. I really doubt that it made it national news because a lot of these news are kept within you know, local right. local news for local cons consumption, but I would have been very curious to know what the common denominator was between all those 20 women. Right, right. Yeah, and like I said, I don't know uh, any more than other than what she had said. They were just from the Tampa area. Uh, not, you know, in, you know, of course, the right age to have, have a child, but um, other than them all being pregnant. And that's, that's a lot of people. I mean, that was, I believe it was in the late 80s when that happened. So how do you go from, and again, Please understand that I'm just posing questions here to put things in perspective. I don't mean any disrespect whatsoever. But well, how do you go from high school dropout, drug user, drug dealer, to all of a sudden in the future after working for General Dynamics, working on nuclear <laughs> submarines? <laughs> well, I'm getting my life together, really what it comes down to. Um, like I said, I had, a, I had an experience, a, a religious experience. You know, you could call it a Southern Baptist experience where I asked Christ to come into my heart. I met a, I worked with a guy that was a, a Southern Baptist minister. And uh, well, I was loading trucks and dealing cocaine. <laughs> and he talked to me about, you know, being saved, in air quotes, you know, through, through the, my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, long story short, I did say, you know, said this little prayer, but it wasn't until 1987, after a, a bad binge of cocaine use, that I really decided to get my life straightened out. And uh, things had fallen apart where I was. I actually had a good job, but I went in my boss and said, you know what, I'm a drug addict. I got to quit doing drugs. I got to get away from this town. This is when I was near Detroit and everyone I know and start over. So I left Michigan, went down to South Carolina, and 
I stayed with a sister of mine, and it just so happens that I had had a dream that I went to this church that I had never, you know, I had this dream years before. But while I'd gone down to South Carolina to get away from my substance abuse and, you know, my problems, I, my brother-in-law had been going to church, and I went to church for the first time since I was a child. But I had seen this church that morning uh, in a dream years before, and I knew I had to go there. And so I went through this, the basic um, salvation thing, you know, Southern Baptist terminology where I accepted Christ into my heart. But something really happened to me the following week when I got baptized. I was baptized in Southern Baptist Church, literally dunked under water. I think I was about 20 years old when this happened. But uh, I was ready to quit, you know, give up that old life that was going to get me killed sooner or later through drug abuse and, and, and just all the crazy people I hung around with. But um, something happened when I got baptized. I, it was as if literally the old me died and a new me came up. And I saw everything from a new perspective. And that's when I think this Christ consciousness awakened me. That was my first, you know, real spiritual awakening. And that's what, you know, got me straightened out. And shortly after that, I was preaching in front of 200 people, teaching Sunday school, singing in the choir. And uh, I got a good job working at General Dynamics, uh, you know, having access to top secret government government documents uh, on trying to series nuclear submarines and some other. Why did you, why did you quit that job all of a sudden? Well, I had met my first wife, and she was pregnant, and I had a father-in-law in the Navy who kind of persuaded me that the military would probably be a better bet because of the uh, financial status of the country, and I thought I would try the military aspect and ended up not working because I had a history of back problems, so I went into military, but my back problems got me out of the military very shortly after there, so uh, kind of made a bad decision, but at the same time, I guess there's no bad decisions because everything happens for a reason, but uh, <laughs> I was young and trying to do the right thing, and it just didn't seem to work out, you know, the way I had planned, but uh, but I can't say I changed the thing being where I'm at today. You know, while reading the foreword of uh, your book by our mutual friend, uh, Dr. Leo Sprinkle, what a nice man he is, I mean, yep. really. He mentioned something I've always wondered, quote, what if... Well, actually, he didn't say this, but I'm just surmising. What if the UFO secrecy has nothing to do with aliens, but in fact, it has everything to do with free energy? And we all know that what happened with Nikola Tesla and on all his discoveries, and he wasn't even alien. Well, that can be debated, but what do you think? Do you think free energy has something to do with the truth embargo? Uh, it's got a little to do with it. I think it's more about energy in total. Um, What I mean by that is the understanding that everything is energy, that uh, consciousness, everything is consciousness in my perspective. Okay. uh, It's about, yeah, understanding how everything is energy and how our consciousness affects our reality and our collective consciousness, let alone our, our individual consciousness. But I think it's more about uh, us understanding who we are and what we are capable of as conscious beings. You know, we had the ability to individually and collectively change and manifest our physical reality. So I think that's more than just more than just powering up our our physical world with energy and computers and so forth. I think it's more about understanding energy on its total level, as in the, how we're all connected on the matrix of you know the the Higgs field. But I think it's it's energy the, matrix. In my, just just my humble opinion, this is 
what is the number one industry in the world? It's petroleum. Oh, it's sure. It's oil, second by, you know, cancer and so on. So we're talking about right. cures as well. So that's something else. If we were to encounter a, a more advanced civilization that has conquered energy and disease, it would completely shatter our paradigm here. The economy right. would collapse worldwide. So the first one being energy, you know, as right. you say, the powering of the cars and so on. So if they're coming here from light years away, and this is one theory, I have other theories, but obviously they have a mechanism or technology that we, you know, that's free energy, in my opinion. If you were to introduce that, I think the powers that want to be, they really don't care if there's life outside of this planet. It's mostly, well, if they're coming here, people are going to be asking, why can't we emulate the energy or the propulsion mechanism that they have? That's what I think it's probably on the top of the tooth embargo reasons. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely part of it. Um, they don't want, well, I don't think, uh, <laughs> the government doesn't want to lose control in any way, shape, or form. Right. That's what it's all about. You know, I never really was into the whole government conspiracy thing until I really came out and started talking about this stuff. I just, I was aware of underground bases and all these things because of my own personal experiences and the UFOs. And I just, I thought everybody in the field was doing a good job covering all these things. But it wasn't until I really started looking into it that I realized how much, how, how really messed up it is from the beginning. You know, and you understand, you start looking at the truth embargo, not only is it controlling the resources and, you know, keeping, you know, supposedly these these entities that powers that be, you know, feeding off our negative energy and all these things as well. But, uh, yeah, it's like if we had access to this knowledge and energy, which I'm sure they all have, we could clean up the planet and make it make this paradise on Earth. There would be no more starvation. We would have everything we need. But for some reason, the powers that are controlling this this world right now and have been, for, I think, for a long, long time, just don't want that to happen. And, you know i.e. the truth embargo, but um, really, what what do they have to gain by all this? They already control everything. What more can it be other than them trying to feed off the, uh, the negativity, you know, or the, the, the feed their egos, you know? It's really hard to understand how it can, uh, you know, why they go as far as they do. <laughs> yeah, and later I'll to discuss, you mentioned deep underground military bases, Right. You had an experience, well, actually not you. I think it was your brother-in-law who was a former Marine who worked, oh. who, who was stationed in Italy. But I'll talk about that later, right? Right, right, right. Now, at the age of 12, let's go in chronological order here. Sure. At the age of 12, you wrote a paper titled, The Philosophils. Can you summarize what you wrote? Oh, boy, that was a long time ago. Basically, I think. Looking back at it, I remember that, you know, like I said, when I was young, I did a lot of drugs. I think it took me to other dimensions and helped me experience things. I did a lot of mescaline acid. Uh, I mean, little when I was 12, 13, 15. Um, but I had some experiences. That I don't me mean to clean. interrupt you, but how were you able to finance those oh. drugs at that age? Were somebody oh, in your family everywhere. giving it to you? All my friends, my oh. friends' family, my brothers and sisters. Yeah, it was it was the seventies. It was late seventies, okay. early eighties. So it was it was everywhere in the you know outside of Detroit. But uh, anyways, uh, I believe what I wrote in there was basically my atheistic view of you know reality is to sum it up. Reality is what we we experience here from the day we're born till the day we die. And I was looking at it from very pretty much cold view at the point of that you know what you experience is all you have and that when you die there's really nothing more other than the experiences you have and your whole potential forever 
is nothing but this fleeting glimpse of 30 seconds as your brain stops to, you know, or hours, whatever it takes, for your brain to totally quit functioning. And during that time, you experience, you know, you become the ultimate judge of who you were, you know, i.e. good or bad, you know, good or evil, and you, know, you can't hide from that. So my perception then was God is really your own perception, you know, your judger, your, the great judgment <laughs> was done by yourself. And you were God in judgment of yourself, and you knew what you did, what you didn't do. So you couldn't hide from that, and as you died, you saw your life flash before your eyes, your memory came back, and that eternity, whether it was a second or a billion years, to you was how you felt, whether you felt that regret, remorse for all these things you had done, or whether you can look back on the experiences you had and rejoice and be happy, knowing that you did the best you could and that you did everything you could you know, out of love. So I think that kind of summarizes where I was as a child, but <laughs> uh, my opinions have changed a little, little bit since, since then. Do you think that a lot of your visions, and we'll talk about the dreams, Right uh, now, the dreams that you had uh, that have come true, including dreams about the future of mankind, do you think they were dreams, or perhaps they were part of the, you know, effects of the drug uh, phase you were in? Well, see, a lot of things happened. A lot of the dreams I had was early childhood before I ever did drugs, and uh, long time after. You know, I sure I had things happen when I was doing using drugs, but um, there was a really bad time when I was 12 till I was 15 when I was doing a lot of a lot of psych, psychedelic drugs and so forth. But after that, it just basically went to marijuana. Then I you know did some cocaine and crystal meth a couple of years later. But as far as the hallucinogenics, um, there's a period of time that you know maybe that had an effect, but a long time after that and since, uh, I've had these dreams that come true, and they're not as if like you have a dream that you just have one night and all oh, that was a weird dream. It's like I will have a dream repeatedly for years, the same kind of dream. And eventually those dreams will play out and I'll experience them one day, kind of like a sense of deja vu. But certain events will happen when I know these dreams are about to come to light. And, you know, they're not spectacular. Just, you know, somebody here one day, well, some event is going on, nothing super life changing all the time. But uh, so when I have these specific dreams, prophetic-like dreams, it's just not a one-time dream occurrence. It's something that has happened to me multiple times throughout my life. That kind of that makes sense to you. Give us some examples of some, can we say, predictions or premonitions that you saw in your dreams. Well, uh, a lot of stuff was just when I was a child, knowing where people were going to be. Uh, you know, I was back in my teens, hanging out with people, having small events take place, but nothing really spectacular on a global scale. Um, but the things that I'm really concerned about is that <laughs> the dreams I've been having lately and the, these recollections I've been having lately. Um, and the things, the experiences I've had since a childhood where I see these worldwide cataclysms and events taking place, just like so many other experiencers and you know abductees have had and prophets where we see these worldwide events where the, the globe is changing through some kind of catastrophic happening, whether it's solar flares or pole shift or great earthquakes and volcanoes. But at the same time, you know, I'm hoping I, these things don't come true, but it's not just me who's had these dreams and these experiences. Like I said, it's all these other experiencers and, and prophets. And what's scaring me now is that I've started to have these 
dreams related to these events that has started to unfold. Um, for example, I'll give you a quick example. Um, I, I, I stopped by my daughter's at my, and her, my son-in-law's the other day to visit, and I had a sense of deja vu that came back to me and reminded me of this dream of that day when I was talking to them about the events, the world events, which included something to do with this Nibiru, this Planet X disaster that's, I believe, potentially going to be here. And this dream, the whole event, the, the events that took place at their house in just that you know, two-minute period were the dream that I had years ago when I knew this world cataclysm was about to hit us. And that's something that just happened. And that's was really scary. <laughs> now, Nibiru, is this something that you're basing on, on the work of Sakaria Sitchin? Well, it's call it Nibiru, call it Planet X, Planet 7X. It's, you know, I'm not a Planet X researcher. I did put up a page on my website for people for your show tonight, uh, Nibiru Planet X page with some, some information on there. Uh, what I can tell you about it is, yeah, Zachary Sitchin, the Anunnaki, that his research I've known about for years with the 3,600-year orbit. Um, in 2011, I met a researcher uh, through my work with Dr. Levingood. Uh, she had, uh, had her lab funded by Lawrence Rockefeller. And I mentioned this. Hold on for a second. I'm, oh, I don't yeah. need to interrupt you, but since no, you're no, mentioning no, no. <laughs> very interesting convergence of facts here. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I was lucky to have done the last interview be before Sitchin passed away. But later I found out that he had his office located in the Rockefeller San Plaza. <laughs> and as we know, and there's no doubt in my mind, at least I know for education, they are the cultural editors. They are the ones who tell us what we need to learn and want to unlearn. And that's why, you know, right now, if a senior in high school comes out of graduated, they're coming out with a, at least in the future, with a seventh grade level. They just want yeah. to keep us dumped down. So when I heard that, that Sitchin had his office located there, I thought, what if this is just pure misinformation, disinformation? Yes, there's some clay tablets, but other people refute what he said. And now you said that Dr. Lovingood, some of his aspects were funded by the Rockefellers? Well, not Dr. Lovingood. It okay. was a, a friend of mine. A friend, who I, okay. I'm not going to mention her name. I, I can tell you off air, but I didn't get her permission to say her name. Sure. She was funded by, doc, uh, by uh, Lawrence Rockefeller. And she has done work with National Institute of Health and some other pretty impressive works for some impressive places now. But um, Rockefeller told her. Now, I met her in 2011. I was doing some research, and I met up with her, spent the day with her, and she told me and my boys, my boys were in their 20s, we went down there and met her and did some work with some other people that day. She told us that Lawrence Rockefeller told her that the people he knew at the CIA told him that this planet Nibiru was, was real, that the government had known about it since the 80s, and they had built all the underground insulations, and they thought it was coming in sometime towards the end of 2012, but they weren't sure, or shortly thereafter. He also said that uh, before the public knows Nibiru is there, they will instill martial law worldwide, basically, before it's visible in the sky every day, so that they can try to contain the panic that's going to come from it. Now... But what's the excuse for implementing martial law? Could it be the, the immigrant uh, flooding that we have these days? Anything. Now, this was back, I said, 2011, and she heard this from him several years, several years earlier, obviously. But uh, he said it could be you know, anything from economic collapse, you know, terrorist attack, fake, you know, false flag terrorist attack, 
you know, who knows today, it could be anything that they can come up with, but I'm thinking probably going to be economic collapse because that's something they can control with the flick of a switch basically. But, uh, but this is what a friend of mine told me that she was told from uh, Lawrence Rockefeller. So this isn't something for me that was internet gossip. Okay, this come from a respective PhD holder researcher who was funded by Lawrence Rockefeller. He told her these things. Now, if he was telling her the truth, uh, then there's something to that. Now, the thing that caught me, like when we spoke about doing the show, I was kind of in a, in a hurry to get on with you because she told me this years ago and. Earlier this year, with my Facebook page, I got a thousand or so Facebook friends, a lot of posts started to come up and pictures and videos of two suns in the sky and weird things happening in, in our solar system. So since May this year, I have been really getting into you know, doing a little more research on Nibiru and the, the, where it's appearing and, and following webcams and all the videos. And I put up a Facebook page, Nibiru is here. There's a link to that on my website as well that people can get to from the uh, Nibiru page. But there's a lot of evidence out there, and I'm seeing things um, I, that just go beyond explanation. Uh, there's something, in my opinion, there's something in our solar system that hasn't been there forever and is causing problems and it is visible occasionally around the world and becoming more visible and bigger and I don't know what it is and I can't understand the orbit. I put a lot of stuff up, information out there, but the thing is my own daughter, my eldest daughter who's a mother of six, she saw two suns in the sky this July about two and a half hour drive from her house over uh, Grand Traverse Bay in Traverse City, Michigan. And I've been talking to people around the world that have seen th this phenomena. And I myself have videotaped and recorded some something going on in our, our skies that is not uh, not normal, uh, having to do with planetary physics. So, And look, I, I, can't dis I cannot discount what I cannot disprove. Right. I just entertain it. And I'm not going to say that everything that Sitchin said was probably you know, this information, right. because I do know one thing, and I discussed this with him during our interview. Back in 1983, I was a youngster. I was a, probably a sophomore in high school. Right. I remember reading a newspaper at the time where NASA was saying that they were uh, they were aware of this exoplanet or within our solar system and that the only thing left was to name it. And then all of a sudden, we never heard about that again. Yep, I remember this. I remember the same thing, at same same time. So yeah, it's been hidden. It's there. I, I posted a lot of good video clips on my website. That just a couple of years ago, Ali Veshi was on CNN talking about the, the brown dwarf they found in our solar system somewhere near Pluto, and then they, you never heard about it again. Oh, I remember that. that. Years. Yeah. Well, where is he, by the way? I haven't seen yeah, him. Yeah, you know, I haven't heard of him, but I saw something the other day while well, flicking through the channel for the grandkids that he was on some <laughs> obscure station of CNBC or something, doing a money thing or something, but yeah. I remember him saying that, and I said, wow, they're saying this on blamestream media. Yeah, and then he's no longer there, so, hmm. But uh, no, there's there's definitely something there, Mel. Um, I, I have taken some videos of something unexplainable over my home here that, that it, it appeared to be uh, a heavenly body reflecting sunlight over my house through the clouds after the sun had set 
about an hour, at least 20 minutes after sun had set, something was reflecting sunshine had coming from the south east of my home to the, heading towards the, the northwest. And I, I have no idea what it was, but there's other videos out there from around the world uh, on webcams. So they're not being altered where there's objects flying through our system, leaving shadows, casting shadows, casting sunlight in ways that, you know, flying and moving in retrograde. And I, I'm baffled. I'm also seeing things from NASA SOHO uh, uh, images that are showing planets, you know, small suns, what appear to be small suns, orbiting our sun. So this doesn't fit in with the Nibiru, you know, where this thing comes in, you know, it hits perihelion and flies back out. I'm, and I posted links to all these pictures on my website. So well, you gotta I'm go also puzzled with the I'm fact. Puzzled. I'm also puzzled with the fact, Phil, that it doesn't matter what time of the night you look up. Uh, what's the name of the northern star? Polaris yeah. is always in the same place. Right. And if you take a camera and you do a time lapse, you know, photography. Right. All you see is a circle, almost like if you're seeing a turntable, wow. a phonograph record yeah. going around on top of you. If we are truly going around these so-called stars, right. why are they up in our sky and Polaris never changes? Have you right. ever wondered that? And again, folks, I recently did a show on the flat Earth. I'm not a ah. flat Earther, but right. the more I try to disprove the flat Earth, the more I cannot understand how we live in a sphere, especially with what I mentioned a few days ago that, you know, I saw another town 80 miles away from my coast with my iPhone, not a telescope, with my iPhone, just magnify it, zoom in a little bit. And I saw that town there from bottom to the top of the mountains, and it's 80 miles away, which is physically impossible. Have you ever thought about that? That one I've never thought about. This whole flat earth theory I just became aware of myself and I was like you and now what but then you start to look at it and so I said you have to question it pulls you everything um so I said a few a few months ago I thought I had things figured out and I thought with this Nibiru thing I you know this is a planet coming in maybe a planetary system our dwarf star and a couple planets it's going to come in it's going to rake havoc it's going to do you know go through perihelion and fly by but now I'm seeing all these things Myself, other things I haven't gotten to yet on webcams that just don't make sense planetary physics-wise, like you said, the whole flat Earth theory. And speaking of that, Polaris sitting still, I've been watching webcams throughout Mexico. They have a really good live webcam system where you can look out over the ocean in different places. Mm -hmm. I have been observing two different objects that appear in the morning, and you can see them, the sunlight reflecting off them, until noon, until the sun moves in the sky and you can no longer see the reflection. But they're, they got to be huge objects. And I've I, I watched them. Well, the one I watched for over a week until they shut the webcam down. But there's some out there in geosynchronous orbit with us. And then I found another one a couple nights ago from another webcam in Mexico that at dusk you can see this giant red sphere beginning to form in the clouds. And as it gets, it gets darker, the sphere becomes, it looks to be a planet glowing in the distance off over the ocean. And it's not lens flare. It was there for several nights in a row now. But it's in orbit. doesn't move. So if it were a planet or anything else, it would go, you know, it'd move as the night progressed, as the Earth rotated back. And these things don't move. So there is stuff going on, Mel, that doesn't make any sense. And I said, I posted several videos 
that show taken from the SOHO cameras, from NASA SOHO cameras that show objects, planetary size objects bigger than the Earth, which appear to be spewing plasma that are orbiting our sun. So I am puzzled, beyond puzzled. Um, you know, I've been, I'm listening to all the research by Gil Brassard, and he, he looks at this whole Planet X, Planet 7X, he calls it, having a 360-year, 380-year orbit, somewhere roughly a 340, 380-year orbit. And uh, he's done a lot of good work. He's, you know, I put some links to his, some of his work on the website as well. But I have to be an eclectic in all things. So when I look at all this work, all the stuff on Nibiru and Planet X, I don't take anybody's word for gospel. You know, Sitchin or, or even uh, Mr. Broussard. I think they got great, great uh, theories and they explain a lot of things. But there's stuff I'm seeing with my own eyes and through these these videos that. Uh, that just don't make sense. And that's the thing. And this is what I encourage everybody to just do it yourself. Research yes. yourself. Don't believe a word of what I'm saying or what Phil is saying or what Sitchin said. Just get out there. If you live in the coast and you live, you know, in your horizon, there's another piece of land. Try to look because most people just don't look. Look at night. Look up at night. Most people just don't look. You know, I don't. I can't tell you how many people I talk to that never look up and see the 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 zeros and X's of the chemtrails above their heads playing tic tac toe. They never even pay attention. So paying attention is key here. But you know, take Dr. Paul Laviolette. He's been researching pulsars, pulsars for right. thirty five years, and he he's discovered that a large number of pulsars are positioned so as to call attention to a specific location in the galaxy. They have uh, symbolic significance and this is not a yahoo talking this is this right. is a pure scientist and I, you know a, a lot of the people who have listened to this show have listened to my conversation with dr carol rosen she was the assistant to dr Werner von braun you may know who he was right right and when he told me that he said look carol first gonna be uh the cold war then it's gonna be the boogeyman terrorism after people don't believe that it's going to be a celestial object approaching. And what they're trying to do is trying to, to unite the world for a common cause. So, and then after that, then it's the alien invasion. And he said, don't believe a word. So even if it's a celestial object, we have the technology to create holograms. And sometimes I wonder, oh, yeah. I wonder, sometimes what if chemtrails are being used to create these uh, metal metallic dust particles in the air so that they could actually reflect a hologram because this was tried by the navy in the early 1960s but they didn't succeed they weren't going to do that by showing a you know a hologram of god to tell the the satanic communists that look what's happening now god is is uh, furious but they never proceeded with that but the navy had the technology in the 60s to accomplish this imagine what they could do 50 some years later yeah, exactly and there's something i heard about called project blue Beam where they're doing exactly that exactly. don't know the details on that but i happen to notice uh, on my facebook someone posted uh, i'm sure if your listeners go into type in flying humanoid in YouTube, you'll see something which looks like a holograph of a human 
floating in the sky. That just came out a couple couple weeks ago. Oh, they've been and, seeing uh, that in Mexico for years. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, this is this is just it's just it's just like what's in these beams coming down from the sky all of a sudden all over the place. It's just like there's so much going on, and we have no idea the technology that they have. And oh, Mel, there's uh, <laughs> I know I, I heard you sub, several of your other shows, and you said that nothing's off limits with your audience. And uh, tonight you wanted to talk about you know. The, the real nitty gritty of, of what what things really are, and uh, for people who don't know me, you know, I can do some really absolutely neat things with uh, energy, with chi, subtle energy, consciousness. You know, using the power of my intention to uh, phys- physically. Uh, how, how did you? How and when did you discover that ability? Well, that's. It's like my entire life. I knew I could do some really crazy things by using my prayer, like getting people to do things for me by just praying about it and kind of putting thoughts into their heads to some extent. Now, (laughs) um, it wasn't though until, you know, and I could do some healing, laying on of hands, Reiki type stuff with um, people. uh, But it wasn't until 2013 when I was doing the Discovery Channel show, Uncovering Aliens. I won't get into the whole story there, but I had an energy worker come up. His name is Ed Edwards. He had worked with Dr. Lovingood with, as well as I, working with subtle energy and studying subtle energy and energy medicine for years. So Ed was a practitioner who goes around the country working with cancer patients, very successful with helping people get better from having different illnesses. It was back in uh, 2013 when they, came, when they were filming the Discovery Channel show here. Um, Ed Edwards came up and was giving demonstrations on how he could physically move people from you know, 10, 15 feet across a room by basically manipulating their chi through the power of his intention. And he did this on at least a dozen people, and I watched him do this over the course of two days. And just by observing Ed and paying attention to what he had said, something clicked in my mind that helped me to understand exactly how he did this or well how it was possible for me to do it at the very least so uh it was in 2013 while they were here filming the show that i figured out how to manipulate chi to the point where i can move people back and forth and side to side and make them feel really really funny and really good and uh just by using the power of my intention. I can actually teach people how to do this. And, and you're going to do that tonight, right? Oh, sure. I can do that for you. And here's the thing is that um, it doesn't matter if we're live or on, on, on tape or <laughs> if I do it on a video or a DVD and put it in a drawer and pull it out in 100 years and watch it because it works all the time. And what I've discovered is that uh, when we're doing these energy sessions, we can actually – use our intention and imprint energy sessions onto the matrix so that people can access them at any time. And that was news to me, Phil, because you were on Coast to Coast some time ago and you did the experiment live, but also people who subscribe to them also, I believe, experienced the same. So if you're not here right now with your intention, you record it, say on a DVD and you send it to a number of people, they can still experience that. How is that possible? Well, this is what's here's here's how it works. Now, this is what boggled my mind. Okay, when Ed was here, he told me that he had done the same thing. He'd done radio shows, and when people listened to the recorded radio show, they still felt the energy. 
So one of the first things I did is when I realized how to, to, I could do this is I made a recording in front of a DVD, and I blackened it out so there was no sound. Nobody could see anything. I didn't say anything. It was just me moving the energy back and forth so that it, whoever observed the video would be moved back and forth and feel the energy. Well, I took this blacked out DVD to a, a nursing class at the local college, and I had 20 nursing students stand in front of a screen and, and, and told them nothing about what the video was. I, I told them it was a, a device that imprinted energy that you could feel from watching a DVD. I didn't tell them it was me, and I didn't tell them you know, how it was done. All of those students felt the energy were moved back and forth, some more than others, and some, some felt just a little tingling in their hands, but some felt everything completely the way I had intended the viewer to, to, to feel it. So that told me that something was going beyond. It wasn't the power of suggestion. It wasn't the fact that you know, they were watching it or listening it. There was something deeper going on. So what I found out after getting on Facebook and doing experiments with multiple people is that the DVD or the YouTube video works as a trigger to access the energy session that is imprinted into the matrix. So what it's all about is when I recorded the DVDs, the, the energy sessions, or when I record one, I can do this anytime, it works every time. I used my intention and I said, the intention with this energy session that I was recording was that anyone who views and or participates with this video will experience the energy the way I intend them to, for the, to experience the energy. So when they watch the DVD, that's just a trigger to connect them to that point in the matrix where I did the energy session, and they experienced that energy session. Now, I tested this by getting on Facebook. I had, like I said, a thousand some Facebook friends, and a good two dozen of them will participate in my energy experiments when I do them. And, uh, what I did is I sat up in the room one day, and I did an intention, uh, an energy experiment. I did two separate experiments. One was a 10-minute session. It was very mellow and soothing. And the other was a five-minute session that was very intense and energizing. And I did each session with the intention that for in order to someone to experience that energy session at any time, all I had to do was to sit down and relax or stand up and relax and just ask the universe to allow them to experience the energy session that I, you know, Phil Kava, imprinted into the matrix for them. And they can either do the 10-minute session or the 5-minute session. <laughs> and I put this out to my Facebook friends. I, I did these two sessions with the intention before I did them that they would work exactly like that. And they worked. I had responses from dozens of people that tried the experiments and they all worked. They felt the difference between the 10 minute session and the five minute session. And I didn't explain to the people, of course, beforehand, the difference between the two sessions. So we are incredible beings, Mel. I, if I can do these things, anyone can do these things. We can do things. It's all about intention and emotion. And if we do things, use our intention and tie the emotion of love into that intention, we can do anything. We can heal the planet. We can heal ourselves. We can heal each other. But we have to be vibrating on the same frequency, and that frequency is love. Are you, saying Phil, are you saying, Phil, that this is almost like dropping a pebble in a very st still lake? It's going to ripple in eternity. And yeah. perhaps what you did 
at that specific time, day, hour, minute, second, it ripples and perhaps it stays in our, let's call them ether, let's call them Akashic record. Right. And because of the the combination of what was used that day, it, it's accessed by whoever's watching it. Yep. Yep. Whoever wants to access that. And it works forever because there really is no time. Everything happens at once. And here's something to think about, you know, which, which kind of, it's kind of strange, but when I do a distance energy session, you know, every, I do everything distant. I can send energy from where I'm at in Michigan around the world, uh, England, Australia, Hawaii, instantaneously, actually before I even, often before I even start sending the energy, people feel the energy that I am starting to send. So if I'm reaching these great distances, these supposed great distances and in no time at all is there really if it takes no time and time is really a measure of distance if it takes no time for that energy to get from my mind to yours is there any and there, is there if there's if there's no time then there's really no distance because we're all connected on this matrix of energy this higgs field we're all just different points of consciousness on the same same matrix, the same film, as it were, this electric film of reality. And we each have our own little perspective of conscious beings, you know. And when we realize our potential as humans, and we, you know, we can collectively, if we could collectively come together and vibrate in this frequency of love and get along, we could, we could literally manifest any type of wonderful reality we wanted to. But we got to get away from the fear and we have to get into love and we have to understand this. And that's almost impossible to do in the society that we are living in today because it is fear-based and fear-driven. And, and that is the hardest thing we have to overcome is to find love and, and meditate and be in this, this, this Higgs field of love, you know, this resonance, this love frequency when we're in this, this frequency of total hate and fear. So that's our biggest challenge is overcoming that. I guess a negative of this radio program is that we're not live, but right. there's a positive that people can access our archives as long right. as we have uh, technology. You know, right. if we have an EMP, maybe that's not going to be the case, but as long as right. we have that, people can access it all the time. So I'm hoping that at the end of segment two, we can do an experiment. We don't have yeah. anybody calling, but right. I like to do an intention experiment, especially with this confluence of events happening right now around the world for every person. And just because you're one doesn't mean that you're not powerful enough to be able to carry your intention around the world. So imagine if you and thousands can do the same thing today, tomorrow, the day after when people listen to this radio program. Maybe, maybe we can affect some, some change. I mean, I remember what Art Bell did years ago with uh, rain. <laughs> I right. believe he has some floodings and things yep. along those lines. So I am a true believer, and I usually don't use the word believe that often, but I have to say that the notion of that you manifest the thoughts that you entertain is very, very true. I think, you know, some people say, first, let there be light and this and that. I think first it was, let there be thought, because I think thought precedes matter. Right. Absolutely. So we have to take a one and only intermission very soon, but I also want to continue discussing some of the things you did in the past. At one point, one night, you couldn't go to sleep, so you started writing. You didn't know where the information was coming from. You started at the beginning of the 
universe and a lot of stuff you wrote that I think our listeners would love to to know what you said and where you think that information came from. But tell us, Phil, how can people buy uh, the book, uh, your two books, actually, and learn more about your your services? Well, um, the easiest way is just to go to my website, uh, www.philcava.com. That's K-A-V-A. Um, and I get they're available on Amazon. And uh, I got some a couple of videos up on YouTube if people want to check out the YouTube videos but the links are all from everything's linked up on my website that's the easiest way to find me uh, emails and everything so um, I would like, I'd like also like to say that you know I don't charge for energy work uh, if anybody's you know really sick I know a lot of people contact me just for fun and that's fine if I got time but um, uh, if anybody has any interest or needs any energy work just contact me don't feel don't feel like you're bothering me because that's why I'm here on the shoulders of giants, contemplating the super scientific of my journey towards enlightenment. Phil Kava, our special guest tonight. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com, click on members, or subscribe. Or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, earthing and grounding products, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy.
Sometimes.